Well, good morning, family. It's a good day to worship the Lord and, and uh, study his word. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we get to share together and, uh, and Lord, just grow in our understanding of your truth. And I pray that you would help me communicate it well. And I pray that each of us would hear what you'd like to speak to our hearts, I pray. Strengthen us, Lord, in our understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been in this uh, series from last week. Can I, you know, why we can trust the Bible. And and I decided to to go down this road um, because I think this is a day, we're living in a day that the Bible is under attack probably like no time in our history, at least in, in our country, and, um, and as much probably worldwide as it ever has been. Um, and as you know, there are places and countries in this world that you can't have a Bible, that being caught with a Bible will cause you to be imprisoned. And, uh, and there's a reason why they're so scared of it. Um, you know, communist countries are scared of it. Socialist countries are scared of it. Socialists are scared of it. And it's not just a political reason they're scared of it. There's, a, there's so many reasons why they're scared of the Bible. And they're scared of it because it's so powerful. When, when someone encounters the truth that's in this book, it changes their life. And, and it can undo... It can undo um, decades of brainwashing in a very short period of time because it's very powerful. It can undo decades of addictions and, and, um, and, and sin and destruction in people's lives. It can do it like that. And I, I say it. It's not that the Bible itself, but the Bible leads us to the one who can. And the Bible helps us discover the truth that, um, that sets us free. And so it's such a powerful book. And where we're in it, in fact, um, interesting, there's, we've had someone actually ask, because I think they were here last week and came back this week, and they said, do you ever go verse by verse in the Bible? Because we're talking about the Bible, and we say, yes, 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 we do. Come on Wednesday, in fact, we're going to the book of Acts. But um, yes, we do, and we do it on Sunday, but... That's the way we do it. But what we're doing right now is I'm really wanting to set um, a place, if you would, in our doing this teaching that you come across somebody who has a question about the Bible. Like like one of the questions they might ask, they says, well, the Bible is inaccurate. It's historically inaccurate. They might have heard it from some professor at college or what have you. And they've got outdated information. And they, they haven't done any homework on it, neither did the professor. They're just mouthing something that somebody else has said. And so last week, we took the time and we looked at the historical evidence of the Bible, compared it to history. And what we discovered is that archaeology has proven the Bible hundreds and hundreds of times. And that the historians have gotten it wrong, especially the, uh, the, the critical historians, the, the skeptics. 
they have gotten it wrong over and over again because they started with the wrong premise to start with, just the beginning of it. They started with the bad premise. And the bad premise is, if, if they would have even just thought of the Bible as a historical book, we know it's more than that. It's God-breathed. But if they would have just gone that far and said, well, it, it, you know, it's, it's a book about history. There's got to be some things about it in, in its history that we can follow. But they discounted it. Many of them just completely discounted the Bible as if it didn't exist. So what you have is a blank, you know, it, it just a blank page in, in thousands, hundreds of years and, uh, uh, of history thousands of years of history, if you kind of take the Bible completely out, of certain segments of, of, uh, of the world. You just have a blank history because the Bible gives it. And then things get pieced together as archaeologists come along. But what they did is they went a step further and started saying things like, well, the Bible's inaccurate. It's not accurate historically. In fact, even discounting whole segments, like, like they said things like Solomon didn't exist and David didn't exist and and they just went right on down the, the road like the, they didn't exist. And, um, and last week what we did is we showed you that the archaeologists, <laughs> they, they find the stones and, and, and all the hardware and, the, and, and the, um, the, the scrolls and so forth. They give whole stories, you know, that just totally prove the Bible. And what we end up with is the Bible isn't just good history. The Bible is exceptional history and accurate completely. Now, we would expect that as if you're a Bible believer and you would expect that. But what it does, it, it pushes it to the next level. Because if it, the Bible is historically accurate, then what about the stories that talk about God's miraculous working? I mean, they were in Egypt. We know that. We know that they were in Egypt at the time that the Bible says so. We know. And the story in the Bible is the Red Sea opens and they walk across. They have a miracle and the ten plagues of Egypt. So what historians will often do is if they don't want to criticize the historical accuracy of the Bible completely because they keep getting, well, they keep getting embarrassed when, you know, with, with new findings. And there's a lot, by the way. Now it's going, it's, it's at a new pace. It's at a new pace. They're finding things, even during COVID the last year, they found all kinds of, uh, they had archaeological digs they had to stop. And they still found all kinds of amazing articles that date back into, this, um, in, into uh, pre-Christ you know, Old Testament times and authenticated things in the Old Testament. But anyhow, what the historians will have, they do is they go, well, some will say, okay, the Bible's accurate, you know, in its history, but I can't, I don't believe that stuff about the miracles. Well, the Bible is accurate historically and it talks about what happened and the supernatural work. So you can discount that but you're, you're, you're going against the fact that the Bible has been amazingly accurate in every detail. People you didn't know existed, we know existed now. People you thought were imaginary, a figment of people's imagination, we know that they're actual history. So that's what we did last week. 
And, and I want to ju- uh, jump in to what's going on this week. And I want to start with this scripture. In Matthew 24, 35, it says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. God says, everything else can pass away, but one thing you can count on is my word is still going to be around. So he, the, the scripture says, he esteems his word above his name. So God's word is very important to him. So last week we talked about that. By the way, if you didn't, if you weren't able to be here for that or watch it online, I encourage you to go to our website and watch last week's. It'll give you a good foundation. But today I want to talk about two things. And the first one is this. The Bible transfers truth accurately. The Bible transfers truth accurately. See, we have eyewitness accounts of what happened and they wrote it down. But they wrote it down 2,000 years ago, for instance, in the New Testament. 2,000 years ago. So how do we know that as it was rewritten, that there wasn't changes in it? That, that, what, that, that, that there weren't changes? Is it really what was originally written? In fact, you hear people say that, well, there's been so many translations and so many copies that we can't really trust it to be accurate. Actually, it's because of there's, there's so many copies of the scriptures that we can be confident that it's accurate. I'm going to explain that. First of all, because of the copying process. The copying process. Obviously, you didn't have a print press or a copy machine back then. Every copy in, in the ancient world had to be handwritten. It had to be copied from, you know, from the original with their hands. So if you get a copy and then a copy of a copy, all ancient writings are this way. You have a copy, then a copy. I mean, you have the original copy, copy of the copy, copy of the copy of copy, you know, all the way down. So when they're copying, what do you expect? Well, they had a rule. In fact, when you were copying the scriptures, the, the scribes, considered it a religious activity. I mean, this was something very important. In fact, in the Old Testament writers, when they would come to the name of God, they would actually throw away their pen and get a new one or a pencil or whatever, you know, their writing material. They'd throw it away because they wanted to make sure to focus. Always focus. Then what they did is they'd take the original scroll. It'd be, you know, a book of the Bible, so forth. And they would count how many letters are in the book. They would count also how many words. They would find the center letter and the center words. And when they copied, they would copy it and they would go through on each line. Let's say there's 30 letters in this one line. And they would count them on their copy. And if their copy had 31 letters or 29 letters, they threw the whole thing out no matter where they were in their copying process. They'd throw it out. They're one letter off. They would also um, do that with the words. And in the whole scroll, they would find the center point. So what was the center letter of 
the, the, the scroll of the book. And they would find it, let's say it's C. And then in their copy, they would find the center letter. And if it was a different letter, it was D, they'd throw out their copy. They do also that with the book words. What was the center word? If the center word was different, they'd throw out the copy if it was different. And, and so th they had this very tight structure about that. Not only, let me, let me go one step further, because this is what they did. And we know this because we actually have, we actually have copies that had all this information at the bottom. So you'd have the copy and it'd say, center letter, center word, uh, how many words, how many letters, all this information. But what they also did is they would do like, if it was in English, like, uh, like we would say, how many A's are in this text? You know, 24 A's in this book, or 500, whatever it'd be. And how many B's? And all of those had to match. So you got really accurate copies of, of, these, of these copies. Now, I'm gonna, it's, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. But uh, the next thing, I, you, you kind of, in understanding this, how do you know? that the copies were accurate. How do you know how good we've been? You ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? You probably have at least heard of it, and many of you might have heard of it. But the Dead Sea Scrolls were scrolls found in the caves near the Dead Sea. That's why they're called Dead Sea Scrolls. They were found in the caves near the Dead Sea. We have, there's a picture of it. In fact, you get that picture. When you go to Israel, we stop there, and we look at, and uh, they do a whole t thing about the, the Dead Sea Scrolls finding. Actually, it was a little shepherd boy who found them throwing a rock, went into one of the caves. He heard the crack of a, of a vase of some sort. And so he, he went up and he found the scrolls there. That's how they were found. And they were found from um, 1948 to 52 was the main. Then there was more found since. And we talked about last week um, that there were some scrolls found P part, parts of scrolls found um, just a couple, just this last month. The, the, so there were some new ones found. It wasn't in this area. It was in another area near the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is pretty big. So, um, but, it, but anyhow, um, the Dead Sea scrolls, the amazing thing that happened with the Dead Sea scrolls, back then when we found them, we have more, we have more scrolls and so forth now. But back there, when they found them, the, the, um, the, the earliest scroll that we had was 900 years after Christ, okay? So, I'm sorry, 1,100 years after Christ. 1,100 years after Christ. And so, these scrolls date from 70, uh, from 150 B.C. to 70 A.D. So, we found scrolls that were... Uh, 1,100 years earlier than our earliest scrolls at that time, okay? And, and what did we find? So, so you have a scroll written. Now, now you have more copies, 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 copies. 1,100 years later, you have this. And what we find is that this, this, this scroll that was originally here, now that we find, this is what we had 1,100 years later. We had this one. All this copy. And then we have, now we find the one that was way back here. What happened in 1,100 years? How accurate was it? 
amazingly accurate. That's what happened. What happened is, now we're looking at these and we compare them to these and we go, in 1,100 years, they're so accurate. Amazingly accurate. It's not what people say. You know, you get a copy of a copy and pretty soon it's not even the same thing that you had. And, and so, what we discovered, and, uh, and here's, is that 95% of it was word, letter for letter. Letter for letter. 95% was letter for letter. Accurate. What about the other 5%? Well, this is where dishonest, dishonest um, so-called so experts you've heard say, the Bible has all kinds of errors in it, all kinds of errors. In, in all the, the writings, you have all kinds of errors, thousands of errors. Let me tell you what the errors, they shouldn't use the word error. The first so-called error is where someone who's copying it actually makes a mistake and puts in the wrong letter in a word. Okay, that's the vast majority. It's a misspelling because the wrong letter is in, in the word. Now, if you were, for instance, reading and you, you come across the word resurrection and, and, and it, it is spelled, you know, with two R's instead of one R or one R instead of two R's, you know how, then would you have a hard time reading the word and go, what, what word is this? No, you wouldn't have a, you'd go, that's resurrection. It might be misspelled, but you would know the word. It's not like you wouldn't know what the word was. Well, they'll call that, see, they'll say, well, that one letter, because that letter is off, th there's all kinds of errors. That's an error? Okay, it is a mistake. It doesn't do anything to our understanding of exactly what was said from the beginning. The other one is that words change over time. How, anybody here still reading from the old King James Version of the Bible? Anybody here? A couple of you? Yeah, yeah, it's quite a few of you. Okay, the old King James Version of the Bible was written in 1611. So the language, you go back, you know, 400 years there, you go back to 1611, and the, the language has changed. You go back a few more hundred years, in English, you don't even understand what they're saying. Language changes over time. So the Greek that the Bible was written in, some, some of the change was, well, the Greek word says this, but that Greek word means this in that day, but it means this in this day. And if I copy it like it says, it'll actually be the wrong word because now word has changed has changed. So they place in a word that means what that word meant way back. Okay? And, and so that is also one of the largest and there, there's some of that that goes on and they'll say, that's an error. No, that's not an error. They're just updating the language because the language has changed. It doesn't mean the same thing. And some of that was there. 
And then on a few occasions, there was um, some scribe who got a little excited. And how this would happen is the scribe would make side notes. So they would be writing the scripture, and they might make a side note about something or a story they know, and they wrote it down. But then the next guy who copies it, he puts it in the book. He puts it in there. And so we go, there, the, but this is the thing. Because there's so many, I said, I said having a lot of copies makes, make, helps you with accuracy. So you have a lot of copies. Let's say, well, one, one issue is uh, an addition at the end of the book of Mark. And you see in the early copies, it's not there. You see that down the road, there are some copies that have it, but the majority don't have it. What do you do with that? Well, you're able to compare them and you go, this is an outlier, right? This, is an out- this one has it, but all these others don't. So it must have been added somewhere. And that's how we know. Folks, we know you have the Bible as it was given. Let me give you some new other things that, um, about this. See, when it came to um, the writing of the originals, when it came to the writing of the originals, they were, they were written very, very early. For instance, the book of Mark was written approximately six to eight years after the resurrection. The, the book of Luke was written um, before Paul's martyrdom. So in, Paul was martyred in the mid-60s, so about 35 years after the resurrection. Matthew and John were written about 70 A.D., so, excuse me, I'm sorry, before 70 A.D., so less than 40 years before the resurrection. So you're, I'm, we're talking about eyewitnesses, Then Paul, who also met with the disciples about five years after the resurrection and saw the risen Lord, he wrote his epistles before his death in the mid-60s. So they all knew this. They all got this and wrote it down. We're talking about early, early, right? Not hundreds of years later that they wrote down. Of course, they had been dead. Somebody else wrote it down. The these were the eyewitnesses. These were apostles. You know, Mark, for instance, he wrote, um, but Mark was a scribe of Peter. So Peter, Peter gave Mark what he wrote down. He was his scribe because um, Peter probably spoke Greek, but it wasn't, he was, that wasn't his first language. He wasn't fluent in it. He, he would spoke, spoke Aramaic. So, um, so uh, Pete, Pete, that's Peter. Mark was uh, his scribe, and he wrote down probably the Greek, um, you know, easily, more accurately for him. Point being, early writing, before 70 AD, we have that. But here's what people don't understand. They think, okay, we have this early writing, then there was all these copies. That's not the way it worked. When they uh, wrote on the papyrus, it lasted a long time. It was a weed found near the, the Dead Sea, and they pounded it out, and it was very durable when it was dried out. It would last, um, uh, well, we, we know it lasts when it's, you know, tightly concealed and so forth. We've, we have uh, evidence of it lasting 3,000 years. 
but in, in parts. But just a, a normal one that's out there and it gets handled and so forth, it'll last two to 300 years. And we know that, that it did. In fact, Tertullian, an early church father, said that the Gospel of John, at, he wrote it in 200, uh, two, 290 years A.D., 290 A.D., he wrote, the Gospel of John is displayed in the book of Ephesus. I mean, in the, in the, in the church of Ephesus. That the Gospel of John is now displayed, is still displayed in the church of Ephesus. Ephesus. And that's what they did. They took the books of, you know, the, the Gospels and the writings of, of Paul, and they, were, they, they, they held them special. And so, but they made them public. So you had, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John public, and they would be public for several hundred years. They were still held and, and still there. And so what were people doing in those several hundred years? Well, scribes would go to the original writing, and they would copy it. So these scribes weren't, you know, were, were 200 years later, 250 years after Christ, and they're still they're still copying from the original. It hasn't, it's not several generations now down, you see. So, so then, unfortunately, the Roman emperor, Diocletian, um, you know, declared war on Christianity. And um, he, uh, for 20 years, attacked the church and destroyed many of the manuscripts. Most people believe that that's when the originals were destroyed by Diocletian. So he, um, he destroyed, but you had so many, the Bible survived. Because I wonder how that happened. God. God always, he says, right? Heaven and earth will pass away, my word will not. And so what we got then is all these the, the, these wonderful works. The Bible is, you know, that, that, the, the, these copies, these very, and, and now we know that the copies were done so well. Folks, what you have, those of you who have your Bibles with you, you know, even online, you have God's Word. You have what was originally written. It's easy for us to know exactly what that is now. And, and it's really pretty, you know, it's, it's so, you can have confidence that what you have is what was written. And you can hold to that. Because the Bible is so accurate. It is also said, if, by chance, the Bible would have been destroyed completely, just the early church fathers have written so many scriptures because what they would do is they'd write about the Bible. So they'd, they'd say, you know, John said this and Mark said this and Paul said this and, the, and, and they would write. And there's so much of that, of the early church fathers writing about the Bible, that there are people who say that you could take and get the, put the whole Bible all together just from the writings of the church fathers. Now, that's not accurate, but it's close. They've written so much that most of the Bible is actually already been put out just by the early church fathers if you didn't have the originals. You should have absolute confidence 
absolute confidence that what you have. Now, there are translations of the Bible and there are paraphrases. Let me give you a little, little understanding about that. Um, you know, the, the English Bible for years, the, the number one almost everybody used was the, was the King James Version of the Bible for many years. And then, and then there were some other translations that came around. We use the New King James Version of the Bible. Um, but what we use is a translation. And most of the books or Bibles that you get translations, some of you have a, a, a newer English translation and so forth, understand that there's a difference between a translation and a paraphrase. Some of you, in the, they usually will tell you whether it's a paraphrase or a translation. Paraphrases oftentimes will use the, the thought, but they're like a commentary on the Bible. So it's not a translation where you're trying to get word for word, Greek to English, New Testament, Hebrew to English, Old Testament, word for word, that you're trying to give concepts and ideas and expound upon it so in your day, in our day, we can understand a little bit more. But understand it's not a translation if it's a paraphrase. I think they're still valuable. I, I don't think a person should not read it because it's a paraphrase. But I'm just telling you that um, if you're concerned about real accuracy, you'll use a translation. Now, I want to I jump into the, the last se segment of this that I want to talk about, and it's another subject. And that is, the Bible is scientifically accurate. Not only is the Bible historically accurate and transfers truth accurately, but the Bible is scientifically accurate. The Bible is not given as a science book. If it was, we would be way more advanced scientifically as a country, as a nation, as a world. But it's not given as a science textbook. We don't read it and find out there's, you know, about how to build rocket ships and it doesn't use scientific language. But the Bible never, 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 never gives bad science. Not once over 1,600 years in which the Bible was written does it give bad science. In fact, it always is ahead of science. There are things in the Bible the Bible says were true that were just discovered or we've We've discovered, you know, hundreds of years after the Bible said it, but all along, science said something different. So, the Bible is not at odds with science, but understand the Bible gives us accurate information. Jonas Kepter, a famous mathematician and a famous astronomer said, science is simply seeking God's thoughts after him. And I believe that's true. That I, I think it, it's true. In other words, God establishes the laws of physics. He establishes the laws of biology. He establishes the laws of mathematics. And we discover them and how they work. The reason the Bible is accurate scientifically is because the laws of the universe were invented by God. So, and, and the thing about science, and I'm not putting down science. I love it. I love reading science books um, and magazines and so forth. But the thing about, you know, science is um, it's constantly changing. There's nothing more worthless than an obsolete science book. My wife and I, we've gone to the Louvre. You know the Louvre in Paris? Um, just 
is they they have a whole section. You know, that's that um, museum is just amazing. But they have a whole section of old, outdated science books. It's three and a half miles long. Three and a half miles long. The odds are, if you're in school right now and you're reading a science book, it's already outdated. It really is already outdated. They can't keep up with. In fact, most science books today are five to ten years behind what the science is today. There's a major, major issue there because science is always changing. And the um, medical world is that way, right? I mean, you, you, you're told, I mean, you were, we were told to eat something five years ago that they're telling us now, oh, that, oh don't touch that stuff. That's really bad for you. You, know, you need to eat this. And you go, who, who can I listen to? Nobody's ever got it right for the length of time. It's always going wrong. So the Bible says in Psalms 148, let every... Let every creature, created thing, give praise to the Lord, for he issues his commands, and they came into being. He established them forever and ever, and his orders will never be revoked. God doesn't have an outdated book. He doesn't have an outdated science, um, you know, uh, anything he does that way. And the, the fact is, the, the, the Bible is accurate scientifically, but one of its greatest arguments is not what the Bible says scientifically. Those are good. We'll look at a couple of them. But what it doesn't say. What the Bible does not say. And uh, what it doesn't say is just as important as what it does say in that regard. So, because what we would expect is that the Bible would be filled with scientific facts of that was per, the prevailing thought of the day. That, you know, it, it was written, you know, part of it all the way back 3,500 years ago. And in and, and, and all these years, wouldn't the writers at times say, write down something that the science of the day were absolutely convinced about? But the Bible doesn't do that. And... And let me give you an example. Um, for thousands and thousands of years, people believed that the earth was flat. It wasn't until Copernicus, Galileo, and Columbus that people realized that the world was not flat. It's round. It's a sphere. It's a ball. So you should expect that the Bible, since when it was written, would say that the earth is flat. Because it was in existence and being written during those thousand years when everybody thought the earth was flat. But there's not one single verse in the Bible that says the earth is flat. Not, not at all. In fact, the very opposite is what the Bible says. 2,600 years ago, God said in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 40, 22, God is enthroned above the sphere of the earth. Everybody else. I mean, if you went out and you say, hey, you give me some info. You know, what's, what's the earth like? What is it? They would all describe it as a flat earth. But for hundreds of years, the Bible says, no, the earth is round. It's a ball. It's a sphere. 
the ball of the earth, the globe of the earth. That's what it, the Bible has said for 2,600 years. For 1,000 years, people believed the earth was held up by something. So depending on the culture where you were, you got certain different beliefs about what was holding up the earth. For instance, in, in the Greek culture, and, and the Bible was written, written during uh, you know, much of the Greek culture, Atlas held the earth, right? Atlas had the earth on his, on, on his shoulders. Well, part of the Bible was written in Greek, so certainly you would think that the predominant view of the day would have come out in the Bible that Atlas holds the earth, but nothing's mentioned about that, about Atlas. So it's because, why, why doesn't the Bible mention it? Because it's, it's not true, you see. For thousands of years, Hindus believed that the earth sat on the backs of giant elephants. Giant elephants held up the earth. And that the elephants were on a giant sea turtle that swam through the cosmic sea. And when the elephants moved, that's when we had earthquakes. That was the prevailing that was the prevailing attitude in the world for a thousand years. But it's not what the Bible says. It isn't in the Bible. Why not? Because it's not true. The Bible leaves out the lies. It leaves out the untruth. You know, in Egypt, the Bible was written in a time when... Egypt was the predominant nation and the belief system of the Egyptians. Egypt believed that the world was held up by five pillars. And, and yet, the Bible doesn't mention it. What does the Bible mention? Well, in the very oldest book in the Bible, understand this. Moses wrote the Bible and he wrote back in time, right? God gave him Revelation, Genesis, and the first five books of the Bible. He gave him, he, so he wrote about things back in time. But the oldest actual book written is the book of Job. And it was written at, he was a contemporary of Abraham. So that's the oldest book. We're going way, way, way back. The oldest book written is the book of Job. And this is what Job writes about who's holding up the earth. Job 26, 7 says, God stretches the sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. How did he know? He didn't. God did. And God gave it to him. See, that's what the scriptures do. The scripture is accurate. For instance, the stars. For years... It was accepted science that there was a limited amount of stars and they could be counted. And we could find a, a finite amount. In fact, 100, 150 BC, a man named Hippocrates counted them and he wrote a very famous dissertation saying there are 1,022 stars in the universe. And that was accepted for 300 years. 300 years. And 300 years later... A guy after him, a guy named Ptolemy, 
he, he does it again. And he says, that guy, Hippocrates, is a nut. He just doesn't, he didn't know what he was talking about. He is just an absolute nut. There's not 1,022 stars in the universe. There's 1,026 stars in the universe. So we know, today we know we can't even count the galaxies, let alone the stars. We don't know. No human being on the planet even knows how many galaxies we have, let alone stars. So we estimate in large clusters. There's a billion in this galaxy, and there's 500 million in this one. We just, that's what we do. Yet the Bible says in Jeremiah 33:22, you cannot number the stars. The stars are without number. You, you, you cannot, no one can number the stars. How did the Bible know? When others were looking up and whatever they saw, they counted. They thought that was it. How did the Bible know? God's, God gives us understanding of things. We've just gone through a plague. What has been the number one way while we're still you know, processing this thing that we were told to keep the, you know, to keep the, the, the pandemic from, from growing, passing, from getting it? What would we say? Well, you stay away from people. In case somebody has it. If somebody has it, for sure, don't get near them. Distances your friend when it comes to that, right? That's what was told us. Now we have all kinds of, and there's different arguments, and, and whether we should wear masks or not wear masks and, and all of that. I'm not going to get into that. I'll make somebody mad just talking about it. <clears throat> but... So, like the bubonic plague, if we would have known the idea of, of germs, no one had an idea of how germs work. Millions and millions. Of, uh, a quarter of all Europe died due, the, due to the bubonic plague because they didn't understand. Not until they actually looked to the scriptures and what should happen. And yet in Leviticus... Right? Over 3,000 years, 3,500 years ago, the Bible says in Leviticus 3 4, put the infectious person in quarantine for seven days. Put them out of the camp, separate them, then if they don't get better, keep them longer. How'd they know? Multiplied millions of people, if they would have listened to the Bible, would not have died. If it wasn't, if, if they would have just listened to the scriptures. How do they know? Because man, mankind, it took a long time for them to catch up with the, with the science of the Bible. The Bible says in Proverbs 30, in verse 5, every word of God is pure. Mine isn't, but God's is. Psalms 12, 6 says, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord are flawless words, like silver refined in the furnace of clay and purified seven times. In Genesis 1, 24, it says, living creatures will reproduce after their own kind and only after their own kind. And we see in the, the fact is that that is what science has found to be true. 
I'm, I'm over time. So I want to get what will take 15 minutes into about three or four. But hang with me. Um, the scientific community, because of um, Darwin, Darwin gave the scientific community a way of thinking of the world without needing God. That, that the world has, you know, and, and, and there's, there's limitations to his view, and he would admit, had admitted that for, for a fact, and he would, he would not even approach the idea of where the first cell came into being. When, when life, when non-life became life, he wouldn't even touch that. But he would talk about after that, how that all came, and how the world, and, and so because of that, it was easier for someone who wanted to ignore God or ignore the biblical view of God to, um, to kind of hold on to a scientific viewpoint and, uh, and kind of ignore God in all that. Uh, Stephen Meyer, who wrote, I love the title, The Case for, um, I mean, The Return of the God Hypothesis. Was, is now, he's been logging how there's a transfer happening in the scientific community. Not everybody, but there's this transfer happening. There, there's still a, a bias that says if you even consider God in the equation, well, then you're not a scientist. You know, so they kind of eliminate a whole segment of what maybe the facts would lead to. You know, scientists are supposed to, you know, supposed to go where, where, the, where the evidence leads to. You're supposed to follow the evidence, but if it leads to, you know, anything to do with God, then oftentimes, not all scientists, I'm not, in, I'm not I don't want to impugn the entire scientific community, but there's a large segment of the scientific community that that's the way it goes. And, and so... Um, Stephen Meyer, um, he, he has been logging this, and he says there's three things that have changed the scientific community. And I'm not going to be able to get into all of them today. But I'm, gonna get, I'm just going to give you uh, headlines, and next week we'll start where we left off, and then we'll, we'll head into, we're going to talk about biblical prophecy, because that is... And then we're going to shut the door with the last point. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. But, but we're taking, we're, 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 what is it? We're a thousand paper cuts to kill. It takes, the, you know, these thousands of paper cuts to kill the, the, the lie that the Bible is not, the myth that God is, that the Bible is not the word of God. But these are the three, and we'll, we'll go real quick. Um, and I'll, I'll explain them actually more next week. Hubble's expanding universe, the Big Bang Theory, that the universe began at time. Up until this time, this, this um, static state theory of the universe is the universe, the material universe is eternal. You know, Einstein believed that. He pushed for it. He was really against when Hubble discovered the expanding um, universe and uh, it killed the idea of that because, in fact... Uh, 
many scientists admitted afterward that the reason they held so tightly to the static uh, state universe was because they felt that if you gave a beginning of the universe, you end up with uh, the Christian God. And it's actually true. You do end up with the Christian God. Um, so, So they pushed against it. But it broke through anyhow because the truth of it is that this universe had a start. And, and it c- couldn't have started itself. And there are things, and we'll, we'll even maybe bring them up about the multi-universe and all that. But, um, but that, was, that, was, that was the start of this downward slide of um, only believing in the material universe. Then the second thing is what he calls the Goldilocks universe. And that's the astrophysicist's um, the, the, the view that all this that we have was designed in such a way that life could exist and that there are hundreds of variables with very tight tolerances, very tight tolerances, that if you get just one way or the other, life cannot exist. And there are scientists now today that, are, that, are, that were atheists and now are either Christian or at least theists scientists all around this country because this is breaking through in the minds of the scientists and they go, well, some will, see, that's where the, the so-called multi-universe, because, listen, if man wants to imagine something to get them away from following God and acknowledging God, they're capable. You got an imagination. You can imagine anything. But in this one universe that we know, it's, that's an impossibility. All the variables are so tight. And, and we'll take a, a, get a chance to take a look at, at that a little bit. And then lastly is the information, the information code in DNA. Every cell in your body, you have at least 37 trillion cells. You lose, you lose um, about 300 million every day. Die. That's terrible. <laughs> maybe it's good. You might go, hey, man, maybe I'm losing some weight. The thing is <laughs> that you're also creating 300 million cells every day. So it ends up the same. But those 300 million cells, every one of them has a full strand of DNA with a with a, with a code in it that is more complex than any computer program that you have or that anyone has. And the odds are impossible. They're absolutely impossible because it's language and it's not chemical. It's impossible. And as this is coming out, as we're looking at the language that it is a, you know, this, the, the scientific words for it is it has to, there has to be an intelligent being who created this. It has to be. It couldn't happen by chance. More and more scientists. Amazing. Some of the top scientists in the world today, some, have already converted. 
either Christianity or theism. That's just they haven't come over to believe fully the scriptures yet, but they've gotten they they had to leave they had to leave their atheism. They had to. And this is what's happening today. And we'll we'll I'll explain a little bit more in that. Next week we're gonna talk about prophecy as well. Listen, um, I know some I for some of you I know some people have told me that's just over my head. I'm not getting it. I don't think it's a lie. I think most of you understand. But there's people, and it's fine. And I don't want, you don't have to. You don't have to get it all. You can just, if you can get the basic concept, God wrote this book. And, and, and there are resources. What, what we're doing tomorrow, um, in fact, it's already on. Uh, if you go to our website, and you go to where the sermons are, and then there's, a, there, there's the sermon helps on that. I don't think if that's the right wording for it. Um, I have a list of books for any of you that want to, kind of a beginner's list. And then if you want to go deeper into the subject, I have, um, I'm listing those for you. Anybody that just kind of wants to. And we're going to be adding to that as we go along uh, into that list if you are interested in going that way. So I'm trying to do it fast enough in just three weeks. And then we're going to get back into just teaching this wonderful book. We just love this, right? We do, that's what we're doing. So let's, let's close. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Your word is true. And, uh, and that because we can trust it, Lord... We have something as a foundation for our life. You said, Lord, about the man who built his house on the rock and the man who built his house on the sand. And you, you said that the person who built his house on the sand is a person that the storms hit and destroy the house because it wasn't on the solid foundation. But you said those who build their house on the rock are like those who take the word of God, the Bible, God's word, and live it. And you said, if we live out your word, then our life will be built on a solid foundation that will not be destroyed. Our families, our life will be solid. And Father, I pray that you'll help us to discover more about this book and that most of all, we'll be committed to getting to know it. Because it is your book. And even places that we might not even think that we're even getting things from. It's still your breath that breathed those words into being. And we ask you to help us. And anyone who's far from God, what are you waiting for? Jesus died for you. It's time to say yes to Jesus. It's time to accept Christ as your Savior. Stop waiting. You're not guaranteed another breath. Today is the day of salvation. Say to Jesus, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. And determine in your heart with his help that you're going to follow him. Ask him to cleanse you of all your sin. Repent. Turn to him. He loves you. Receive him right now in Jesus' name. Let's close in a song and worship.
Yeah. 